Hey guys, what a beautiful day. I just did an amazing Peloton ride and I was reminded by my instructor that we woke up today. Today we can do anything. We can prepare for anything. And I just want you to take a minute and breathe that in for a second. We are breathing. We can take a deep breath in. (sighs) We can take a deep breath out. And the world is literally at our fingertips. Thank you for being here to learn something about your pregnancy journey or your postpartum period. We are talking about DEMER today, D-M-E-R. It is something that is very rarely talked about. It is significantly impactful in the postpartum period. It has to do with your milk supply and your letting down and the drop in dopamine that can occur and how some people experience that traumatically and are misdiagnosed with postpartum anxiety, depression, psychosis, rage, and really it is D-M-E-R and we need to talk about it. So thanks for listening to my interview today with Courtney. We go into two birth stories, a fertility journey and her postpartum journey with identifying that she was suffering from D-M-E-R. I hope that this episode helps you or someone that you know And if it brings anybody to mind, please share this episode with them so that we can help them in their postpartum journey. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Courtney, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. I was just sharing with Courtney before we started recording, you guys, that today was the first day technically of kindergarten, and we had our kindergarten open house and met our teacher. And so it's just a really special day for me today. So I wanted to like memorialize that on the podcast today. So I'm really thankful that Courtney is here. Today, we're talking about not only Courtney's birth story and fertility journey, but we're talking about DEMER, also called D-M-E-R. And I'm really excited to share about this with our audience so that we can really help moms in their postpartum journey. So thanks for being here today, Courtney. I'm excited to talk about this near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Well, let's start with your fertility journey. So you had written... And let me know that it wasn't just, hey, we had sex and got pregnant, 
right? Right. So could you talk to me a little bit about your family and your life and what you do and how your fertility journey began? I can. Um, My family right now is my husband, Matt, and we have a three and a half year old daughter, Carrie, and we have a 10 week old new addition to the family, Maddie, Matthew Jr. And he is absolutely precious and we're all adjusting to life with him, especially my toddler. But going going back in time with Carrie, uh, my my husband and I decided we wanted to have a child after years and years of both of us saying we were never going to have any children. So I fully expected that I once I had amended the plan that I would just get pregnant with no problem. But unfortunately, we know that that's not how it goes sometimes. So I spoke with my OBGYN. I had my IUD removed. And I started tracking my cycle, doing all the, quote, right things that you're supposed to do in order to get pregnant relatively easily. One, two, three, four months went by, nothing was was happening. And I started to think, okay, well, maybe this isn't going to be quite as easy as we had hoped. And I talked to my OBGYN again, and I said, you know, I'm reading on the internet that I'm supposed to wait a year, you know, trying before I seek any intervention. And and she was really great about it. And she said, no, you, you should wait until you don't want to wait anymore and then seek intervention. Like you can seek intervention right now. So, so I did, I said, okay, well, let's, let's try some things out. And she tried me on a couple of different medications. I know you've heard of Clomid. So we tried that. I think we tried another one that works similarly. I can't remember the name of it, but, um, just to stimulate ovulation. To simulate ovulation, okay. yes, just in case that was the problem without having to do a whole lot of investigation. Okay. Um, Did she do and, an ultrasound of your ovaries? You know, I can't remember. I'm sorry. Oh, I, it's okay. I don't, I don't think that she did. Okay. Sometimes I don't think that she did. Sometimes it's just a really like kind of easy step. They'll just kind of look at your ovaries, you know, yeah. the follicles and that kind of thing. But that wasn't done. At all. So just started with medication. Like, let's just see if we can get you. Just to see if it would jumpstart and and solve the easy problem. Perfect. Sort of. That didn't work. It gave me really bad mood swings, as I recall. And I could tell something was going on, but not the thing that I wanted. And then we we took us the next step of getting my husband's numbers tested. So testing his semen, making sure everything was working accordingly there. Then we were referred to a fertility specialist to take a look at what was going on with my husband to see if if he had any sort of an issue that was preventing pregnancy. His numbers were all great. Everything looked fine. So it was time to look at me a little more closely. And I worked with a doctor to try and, and talk about my medical history, to talk about any problems I had had, and to have the ultrasound of all of my reproductive organs to see if everything looked right. Everything did look right. I was producing what looked like healthy eggs. My blood work all looked normal and good. Everything seemed fine. And my doctor, based on you know what I was what he was seeing and based on my medical history, I always had a history of very, very painful menstrual cycles since I was a young teenager. He suspected that I had endometriosis. And he did a laparoscopic surgery to go in and take a look with the intention of getting rid of any endometriosis that he found in there while he was in there. So we underwent that procedure uh, with the hopes that it would fix the problem. And he told us that 
sort of a moderate level of endometriosis was what he was hoping for. So nothing so mild that it would be preventing pregnancy and nothing so major that it would be unfixable. Okay. So something moderate. And that's exactly what he found. And he was able to remove quite a few lesions. And after that, we did one natural cycle just to see if it would work the first time. It didn't. And then we were kind of tired of messing around. We had an IUI, intrauterine insemination, and it worked the first time. And I was pregnant with Carrie. Wow. Okay. I've got a couple questions for you Go for on it. this fertility journey. Number one comment, I guess. This is a very proactive care, like really good proactive care. Number one, your own advocacy. I interviewed Miss North Carolina, uh, Mrs. North Carolina on the podcast, Nichelle Sublet, and on her fertility journey. And her like hashtag is start asking. So she's yeah. trying to like break down this wait for a year or wait till you want to become pregnant to talk about your fertility. I also interviewed Afton Vetchery from uh, Modern Fertility. And the whole concept is we should be starting to talk about our fertility when we're teenagers, when we're having painful right. menstrual cycles. Right. If we're Nobody having, thought to treat it back then. Right. If we have like irregular periods, that kind of thing. So I want to make sure that like I mention that, like if you are yes. just listening to this podcast because you love birth, like hashtag start asking, look at modernfertility.com, like think about some of the things that you can do long before, even if you think you never want to have kids. Let Courtney's story be a reminder that we change, you know, we, we evolve, things change, you know, we change our minds. I was also someone, isn't this funny, who never thought she wanted to have children. I mean, I got, I was the youngest person to enter my MBA program at the university I went to. And they were like, are you sure you want to be doing this? And I'm like, oh yeah, I want to be the CEO of a company. Like I want to run a company. I don't want to have children. I just want to be like this businesswoman. <laughs> you can't even uh, say it without <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, so funny. And then all of a sudden I was 34 years old and all I wanted to do was be a mom. You know, after mm -hmm. I had had this big career, I was like, okay, done with that. So it's so funny. We change our minds, everyone. So like, let's start looking at all of those intake questions that like they ask Courtney, you know, like, how are you feeling? What's your history? What is your cycle like? Parents, ask your children. What is their cycle like? Help them track it. What does it look like? I mean, from an early start, these are really important questions. But like, I love, huge heart love that your doctor was like, we'll look into this whenever you want to look into this. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, yeah. that's massive. Okay. I love mm -hmm. whoever this person is. I just like absolutely we can talk offline about who it is, but I absolutely love it. And I love that they were so proactive. Like, let's try some easy things, you know, like Clomid. Let's right. try to stimulate. Obviously, these things don't really hurt us, you know, but if they work, they work. And also, immediately, you didn't go into shame, like something must be wrong with my body. And neither did your mm -hmm. provider. This is, if you are cisgender, heterosexual couple, it's 50-50 chance it's coming from one side or the other. So it's really right. important. That as women, I interview people on the podcast all the time and they think it's just them. And they never even think to have their partner's sperm tested. And I'm like, and it's this much easier to do that. So, so easy. So, 
I mean, it wasn't super fun for him, but it was much easier. So easy. And also it can be, you know, the infertility can come from either side. So you actually had explained infertility with moderate endometriosis. That was the diagnosis. So they right then performed the surgery and then you were able to do IUI and get pregnant. Yep. Beautiful. I mean, how long did that journey last from the time that you and your husband were like, hey, we changed our mind. (laughs) We want to take this IUD out and get pregnant to when you got pregnant. So how long? I was very lucky. I I feel like in that it was um, only about a year and a half from start to finish. And I know that there are some women who go through so many years. I feel lucky that it was only a year and a half, even though it felt like an eternity to me, you know, (laughs) wanting something and then not getting it right away. That's a long time. Like 18 months is a long time to just, and I'm assuming you were having periods that continued to be painful. They were really, really bad without the IUD. And yeah, Yeah. Um, you know, my husband and I, we actually weren't married when we started trying to have a baby. And then we decided to get married during the, the saga of trying to get pregnant. And I can, this is pretty personal, I know, but I can remember on my wedding day, I was hopeful for a positive pregnancy test. Instead, I got my period and it was like brutally hot summer day. And it was, I was in so much pain. And I was like, this is, this is terrible. I really hope we can get this, you know, resolved soon. I don't have to go through this anymore because they're really bad periods. This is what I hear. So my work and business partner, Colin, who's the most amazing doula, a doula differently. She has PCOS and endometriosis Mm -hmm. and really painful periods. And so I hear about it. My sister has endometriosis. So many of my friends have had these and and have had these surgeries multiple times, not just one time, like multiple times. I've I've had one, another one since then for my son too. Okay. I was going to ask about that. So we'll get to that (laughs) on the second pregnancy. So you get pregnant. Tell me about this, this pregnancy and how old are you, by the way, at this point? I was 30 years old when I got pregnant. Okay. Make sure I'm telling you right. Yeah. <laughs> you may have to cut this out as I'm trying to do my math. But I mean, that's Terrible. very different than I'm than 42. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, like, you're 30 years okay, old having okay. a fertility. I was journey. wrong. I was 31. Sorry, I was 31. <laughs> and I was 32 when I delivered her. Okay. Oh goodness. Yeah. Um, so baby the pregnancy. Brain? <laughs> I know. I know. I, I got to give myself a little break, right? I'm yes. bored here. But um, yeah, no. I the pregnancy was, I would say. I hate to use the term textbook, but that's really kind of how it was. It was, I would say, an easy pregnancy. I did not have any complications beyond the kind of basic stuff like backache and a little bit of nausea in my first trimester, nothing major, had a little carpal tunnel. You know, it was really quite a breeze. Sorry to all you moms who had a different experience, which I know is a lot, um, a lot of people listening. But then And I just to roll right into it, my delivery was really very similar. Let's pause though. Yeah. Because I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about it. Go ahead. But first of all, we need to hear these stories too, right? Like a a birth podcast is all the kinds of birth, right? Like the really easy, the really long and hard, all the things in between. So like, I think it's, it's a good reminder and an appreciation that pregnancy can be uneventful, you know? Right. And we get different battles, right? And, and different hardships throughout our whole life. Everyone has a journey of some kind. You had a fertility journey and an easy pregnancy and an easy delivery that we're going to get into, right? Other people have very ginormous 
struggles and traumas that might not look like a fertility journey, but look different, you know? So I think it's okay to say out loud too, like, I loved being pregnant and I had a great, I'm not speaking for me, by the way, because that's not what my story was, but like for Courtney, you know, to hear you say that is sort of refreshing. I'll be honest. I love, I love hearing it. Before we get into that birth, did you know anything about birth? Like, did you like know right away, like, I want to have an unmedicated birth or I want to have a medicated birth or like... It's a good question. Did you have a plan, (laughs) you know? I had done the birthing classes through my hospital. My husband and I had done those. So we had a basic idea, I guess, sort of what could happen and what choices we had. And my husband and I agreed that I was a good candidate for an epidural. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we talked about it at length and I was like, I didn't want to put the pressure on myself of, um, you know, well, I'll see how it goes and then I'll make a decision. I, I like to have a plan when, when it's possible for me to have a plan. And so I went into labor with, well, went into the, the delivery knowing that I wanted to have an epidural. So I, I knew that much. Other than that, I did not have a birth plan. Again, I felt like that was too much pressure for me. I, I liked the plan of knowing what I was going to do for the pain. That was enough for me going in. Okay, Courtney. So I totally get that. Like, I mean, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that like I planned my induction with my second because I, while I'm a doula and I will talk to everyone on this podcast about all the things, the first thing I talk about is body autonomy, what you want for your own body. What I wanted for my own body was continuous fetal monitoring and an induction and Pitocin to go up every 30 minutes by whatever and to do that unmedicated and to know that like I had some sort of control over that, you know, and that's not that's not for everyone. But I won't carry shame about that, you know, at all. I loved the way that I chose my birth and it worked out beautifully, you know. And so I think it's really important for other people to hear that, right? Like you don't have to have a birth plan. You can absolutely know, like, these are the two things I want. I know that I want to have an epidural and I know that I want to, I don't know, have a vaginal birth if possible, but to surrender to the fact that we're not really in control of any of it. So tell me, you've done these birth classes. You're like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm educated and informed on how the epidural could benefit my birth and help me have a a more enjoyable experience for you. And so then what happens? How did you know you were in labor? I was 38 weeks pregnant on on the the dot, on the day. And I woke up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, as we all do when we're that pregnant constantly. And I noticed like sort of an unusual, I would say, discharge the consistency and look of it was just a little bit different than what I was used to seeing. And I thought, well, that seems weird. And it seems like a lot. And I, I tried to go back to bed and I just had sort of a funny feeling, kept monitoring it. And I thought, you know, I think that that really might be amniotic fluid. I really think I may have a leak in my amniotic sac. I might really be leaking a little bit. So at this point, it was about three or four o'clock in the morning. And I was like, oh, I'm up for the day. There's no way I can go back to sleep now. So I actually got onto my computer and did some, <laughs> some emailing. I had to do some kind of tying up loose ends because I just had a feeling. 
I called my my nurses line and talked to them about it. And they said, yeah, it could very well be a league. Um, we want you to come on in. And I woke my, I let my husband sleep until about 630. <laughs> and I took, uh, we, we went into the, to the hospital and we were fully expecting to be sent home. I, I, you know how you, it's so funny how you doubt yourself in those moments. Like, ah, this is probably not what it is. This is probably just my imagination. And they did, I know they can do a little test to look for under the microscope. They can test the amniotic fluid to look for a burning pattern is how they described it to me. And I thought that was really interesting. So they took it away to, to check it out under the microscope and they came back and said, well, it looks like you're having a baby today. If, you, if you're if you going to stay and have a baby today. And I said, yes, let's stay and have a baby. Let's get some Pitocin started. Because I was having no contractions at that point. Um, nothing other than the slow leak. So can I so interrupt that's how it all got here? started. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was like, let me interrupt right here. And I tend um, to, to talk until you interrupt me. Yeah, so no, this do. is perfect. I'm like, this is, I usually like, I like it because when you get going in your story and I hate mm-hmm. to interrupt, but there's, no, okay. there's, there's listeners right now. I feel like that could really utilize some information. So first sure. of all, this is called premature rupture of the membranes, PROM. Okay. And this means your full term. And your first sign of labor are your membranes releasing. Now you have an inner bag and an outer bag, and you can get a little leak or tear in the bag. And if they have to do ferning under a microscope, it means that you just have a a leak somewhere. There is a tear in that bag. But it it wasn't like we cut the bottom of the bag off and the water just gushed out of you like, you know, Niagara Falls, right? So this gets really confusing to parents when they're, it's something is different coming out of me, but it's so little or it's so minor. Like, I'm not sure if it's extra vaginal discharge or my mucus plug or, so it's, it's never a bad idea to, to go in and just get checked out. And then, you know, and then you get to make choices. So Courtney, the choice that you made for your body and for your family was to stay and to start an induction. Okay. You have a choice, everyone, and other choices. Your other choices could be to sign a form called AMA, which be, would be often against medical advice, to go home and wait for labor to begin. Data suggests that after you have a, a rupture in your water, contractions should start on their own within six to 12 hours. It can take often sometimes 24 or 48 hours too, depending on, again, if you were like Courtney and you had just a small little leak and just a little amniotic fluid was spilling out versus like the whole, all the fluid is gone, the head drops down onto the cervix, that's going to produce labor much quicker than if you have just a, a small tear or small leak like Courtney had. So If you have your amniotic fluid leaked or ruptured, though, your risk of infection, chorioamnionitis, increases. And so the medical recommendation is to deliver within about 24 to 48 hours after your water ruptures. So I just want everyone to hear that. Like, you can do absolutely what Courtney did, and you can stay, and you can get started on your induction. If that doesn't feel right for you and your body, you could ask a lot of questions and maybe go home for 6, 8, 12, 24 hours, monitor to make sure you don't get a fever, start to, you know, feel funny in any way. If You can always go back to the hospital at any point if that's where you're birthing. If you are home birth and you're listening, 
you know, you'd probably just sit still for 24 hours and wait for your labor to begin when your water ruptures. But when we are hospital birthing clients, we typically will call the nurse line. The nurses are obligated to tell you to come in, of course. So that's another choice. You could stay home for six, eight or 12 hours, then go into triage, or you could go to triage right away. So Courtney made the decision to go in, confirm her water was ruptured and her instincts were right, Courtney. That's the most important thing. Like there is nothing more powerful than the mom's instincts. Like you sitting on the toilet saying something is different. I feel funny. Like that's what we pay attention to right there. Mm -hmm. That maternal instinct, your body talking to you. How quickly did they get you out of triage? into a birthing suite and started, they started with Pitocin? They did. Okay. Yeah. And it went, it went fairly quickly, I'll say. So that was about 7 a.m. Um, okay. that we got there and they were ramping up the Pitocin every so often. I couldn't tell you exactly how often, but I know that's what they do. That's what they were doing. I started to have the contractions pretty easily. They were gradually intensifying in a, I would say a reasonable way, okay. <laughs> you know, it didn't, it wasn't too, too much or too little. It felt right yeah. to me. And at a certain point I asked for the epidural that I knew I wanted. Um, I know that it can take a little while sometimes for the anesthesiologist to get up and make room for you in the kind of crazy schedule that they have. They're doing C-sections and all these other things. That person came in relatively quickly within, within 30 or 45 minutes, I would say. I got the epidural. It was not painful to get the epidural for me. It was, a, a, I would say it was a really well done epidural. If, if there is such a thing, I could still feel the pressure. I could still feel the contractions coming. All of my pushing instincts were intact. You know, I wasn't completely numb or anything like that. Everything was, was, was feeling right to me. The nurse said, okay, you know, you've had your epidural. You're, you're, you're feeling everything in a good way. Your pain is gone. Let's relax, settle in. It's going to be a long ride. You know, you're probably going to be taking a long time to get to the dilation that you need to get to. She checked me and I, I, I don't remember, but I mean, I was only three or four centimeters dilated when I got my epidural. Perfectly so, timed epidural in my opinion. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So she left to go attend to other people and we turned down the lights and tried to take a little nap because, you know, you're going to need the energy for pushing. I dozed for about five or 10 minutes and maybe, I don't know exactly how long, not long. And I felt the funniest feeling I think I've ever felt, which is I felt the urge to push. And I was like, this is truly bizarre. I don't know what's telling me this right now. Um, and I said, <laughs> um, I need you to wake up. I said, I'm feeling funny. I'm feeling like I need to push this baby out. This is overwhelmingly strong urge. And he's like, that can't be right. We go get the nurse and she comes back in and she says, that can't be right. And she checks my cervix and I'm fully dilated. It was how many minutes how later was that? I mean, I honestly, I don't know, but it could not have been more than a half hour wow. after my epidural. I mean, it was insanity. <laughs> wow. That is so <laughs> and, uh, fast. It was really fast. And she's like, oh yeah, no, you're ready. You're ready to push. Let's, let's get ready. So they prepped everything for pushing. And I'm like holding back the urge to push so that they can get ready for me to push. And I mean, I, I think I pushed for 20 minutes. Wow. And she, and she was out. It was this. that easy for me. And it yes, sounds, no, people crazy. need these stories because it this does awesome. happen. This does happen. It was awesome. It's amazing. And as a doula, these are the stories that I'm like, 
Okay. Every now and then, say I've been laboring with someone for like 16 hours and they get an epidural and I live Mm -hmm. four minutes from the hospital. So I'm like, okay, well, while you're sleeping, maybe I'll go home and take a quick nap here too. But it's stories like yours, Courtney, that Mm -hmm. make me be like, maybe I should just take a nap in the chair in the corner because you just don't know. If I had left, I was your doula and I had left when you got your epidural, I would have missed your birth. What kind of doula was that? You know, so that is Let so. Me to you. <laughs> yes. Now I'm going to have you briefly tell me. Ten weeks yep. ago, you just gave birth, but like, yep. In my professional experience, number two sometimes goes even faster than number one. But yep. you were induced and all that kind of stuff. Could you tell us a little bit about your second birth? Because now I'm just really curious. <laughs> did it go? Yeah. Did it go just as fast? It was a little bit early. It was eight days early. My membranes had been stripped a couple of times. I was so done. I had a a more difficult pregnancy. I was grumpy and emotional and I had been more sick and all of these things. As we know, this happens. And I was having contractions and I went in because my contractions were happening frequently, but they weren't strong. And they still told me to come in. I asked them to keep me and put me on Pitocin if they would, because I was ready to go. I I was hoping I'd have a similar reaction this time. I did. I took a little longer to dilate, but it was still 12 hours start to finish. Exactly the same as the first time. Wow. So it it was still, and I have to say, yet again, another great experience. Really remarkable. Uh, Everything went the way it was supposed to. So if it happens once and you think it can't happen again, I was fully prepared for it to not happen again, but it did happen again. I had another great birth. Courtney, thank you for sharing with us that it is possible. I mean, I know you had an 18-month-long fertility journey, and you had sort of alluded that there was another endometrial surgery Mm -hmm. in between. I know that that journey was long and difficult, but what a blessing for you to come on today and share with us that like birth really can sometimes be very uncomplicated. And epidurals can go beautifully and babies can come quickly. Like, I think we need that reminder that it's not always like this really long, hard journey. It can be, you know, but some of, like we said, some of us get our journeys on the front end and some of us get our journeys during and some of us get our journeys on the back end and parenting. And some of us get all three of those (laughs) too. So let's get into DEMER or D-M-E-R. So your babies are born. Well, let me ask you a clarifying question. Is this something that you experience with both children or first? I'll say yes with an asterisk, which I can explain. Okay. So let's get into that postpartum period. You get home from the hospital. How are you feeling? With Carrie. So this is predominantly where the story exists with Carrie. When I got home from the hospital, I felt great for a week, just to put it bluntly. I I feel like I had all those great hormones, you know, oxytocin and all that good stuff happening. And I didn't, I didn't have a care in the world. I thought this is going to be great. This is easy. You know, what I didn't know is that sometimes those postpartum emotions kind of kick in a few days after you get home. I figured that out. (laughs) I was waiting for my milk to come in, as I know happens quite a bit. I was just getting colostrum in the hospital and then colostrum when I got home, um, when I was pumping. I could not get Carrie to latch on properly. 
I was trying to get her to latch on every time I was uh, feeding her. And then when that wasn't working, I was giving her a bottle that I had pumped. So I was going through that kind of cyclical process as soon as we got home. And as my milk came in, it came in pretty fast and hard and strong. I had a really good supply of milk and everybody was so celebratory. Oh, great. You have so much milk. This is awesome. You know, and I was like, yeah, I can't get her to latch. And I was seeing lactation consultant and trying to get her to latch on and she just wouldn't. And they said, you know, you can exclusively pump. That's a thing. And I was like, it's a thing. Okay, well, that's great. I really want to, you know, nurse her, feed her my milk. And right around the time that I was beginning to actually feed her fully from my body, you know, I was producing enough milk for her. And I'd say this was probably a weekend, you know, a week after she was born. I had, I had to supplement with formula for a little bit. I noticed that I was not feeling well. I noticed that I, I was very anxious, very emotional. I had moments where I felt true desperation, as bad as I had ever felt in my life. And it was terrifying. I thought, okay, well, this is what everybody told me to look out for. I have postpartum depression. Oh my God, I'm losing it. I felt truly unhinged. I reached out to my OBGYN first. I said, I'm feeling terrible. I'm feeling weird. I'm freaking out. And she said, okay, well, you know, as a person who's already on medication for depression and anxiety, let's go ahead and up those doses first and try and get you the most relief that we can quickly. And then let's get you referred to a therapist who specializes in these issues. Were there any screeners like a -hmm. postpartum depression screener, postpartum anxiety screener? Did they do anything or were they just going off of what you had said you were feeling? I was doing the um, the typical, you mean just like those forms that you fill yeah. out where you talk about how you're feeling? Mm-hmm. Yes, I yeah. was doing those. They were all not looking great because I was saying, yes, I, some of the time and a lot of the time I feel this way and that way. You know, I was, I was definitely flagging them, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. I was trying to document the way I was feeling as best I could, yeah. you know, on those forms. It's so hard because those forms are front and back. This is depression. This is anxiety. Yes. And yeah. every time I do a follow-up and I'm like, what about postpartum psychosis? What about postpartum rage? What about right. postpartum, postpartum insomnia? Like the list goes on, right? And Yes, I know, it's not just one or the other or none. <laughs> yeah. And today we're talking about right. something that we don't talk about very much, DMER, DMER. But yeah. getting to that yeah. diagnosis sometimes self-diagnosis, but getting to that diagnosis can be very difficult. So what medications were you already taking? Do you mind sharing that? I don't mind sharing. Um, as I recall, at that point, I was taking Zoloft mm-hmm. daily. And, and what I, th- I think that's what, what I was taking already. And they, the doctor suggested that I switch to Arbutrin, or I'm sorry, I really don't remember, but I've been on and off of both of those medications okay. my entire adult life. Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says the workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free 
As my thank you for listening to the Birth Story podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under the workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now let's get back to this amazing episode. So did you feel like when you upped the medications that anything changed? I didn't feel like anything changed at all. I know they take some time to kick in and I was just desperately waiting for them to, I mean, I was already on medication, but I was desperately waiting for the the increased dosage to start making me feel better. But as I said, I was also referred to a therapist to try and help me in the interim um, while I was waiting to feel better from the medicine. So I, I went to this therapist. It's funny, looking back, I can't remember a single thing about any of those sessions because I think I was just so out of it mentally. But what I do remember, just knowing what happened, is that she proposed the idea of paying attention to when I felt the worst. I think she had a suspicion based on the way I was describing my feelings. She knew about DMER. And I'll explain what it is in a minute, but uh, she knew about it. And so I think she thought that it could be a possibility as far as what was going on with me rather than postpartum depression. Okay. So let's talk about it. We're going to talk about what DMER is, but mostly Mm -hmm. how you experienced it. So that if there's anybody listening who's pregnant, if you start to hear Courtney's story in your postpartum journey and it sounds familiar, we want you to really kind of just make a little mental note and then kind of come back to this term if you need it. So Courtney, tell us, what is DMER? DMER stands for dysphoric milk ejection reflux. It's a really fancy way of saying that my brain was glitching when my milk was letting down every time I nursed or pumped in this case to generate milk for my baby. So without getting too deep into the science of it, because I'm not, I'm not a doctor, I only know what I've read, paired with the fact that the experts, I use that term very loosely, the experts don't really know much about it yet. Paired with that fact, I don't want to get into you know saying a bunch of stuff that could or could not be accurate. But the, the prevailing logic, the theory on what dysphoric milk ejection reflex looks like is you know, when you're nursing your baby or when you're producing milk, your brain suppresses your dopamine levels in order to allow the milk to let down, in order to allow for the prolactin to do its job. In a normal, quote, normal nursing session or uh, pumping session, this suppression is very uh, minor. It goes unnoticed. It's not something that the mother feels. And in other people like me, other lucky people, there's sort of a physiological glitch that happens. It's not psychological. It's not based on anything related to mental health. It's just a a physiological glitch. That's the best way to describe it. And it causes those dopamine levels to basically bottom out, to plummet anytime milk lets down. So anytime you're about to, to see milk coming out of your body. It is very brief or relatively brief. It's like 60 to 90 seconds of a feeling. 
and it happens every single time um, your milk lets down. And in my case, I would say it was very severe. So I was having these um, feelings of despair and almost like grief. Pretty much, I mean, like I said before, pretty much as bad as as bad as you can imagine. I was having those feelings every time I was trying to feed my child. And what the therapist helped me kind of realize was in, in my foggy, you know, new mom state was that I was not feeling that way in between feeding sessions. I was feeling that way specifically when I was uh, pumping. I was feeling apprehension when it was time to pump. So those feelings were what I was actually feeling. And I, I just wasn't able to recognize the pattern until someone presented the idea to me. And then it was like a light bulb moment. It was insane. I started to pay attention and it was remarkable how clear <laughs> it was what was happening to me. Were you like journaling or writing it down? Like when she gave you this homework to like pay attention or were you just kind of like, oh, it's at its worst right now and I'm nursing. I Interesting. Or it's at its worst and I'm pumping, you know. I started to, yeah, it was the latter. I just started paying attention. And, okay. and you know, when you're in that new mom haze, you know, oh, it's time to feed again. You're feeding so co- so constantly. It's time to pump again. And I, they were running together so much that I wasn't even noticing the distinction. So all I had to do was sort of step back and, and, and pay attention and getting the pump out, attaching it. And oh my God, there it is. It's like a wave. How long would it, it last for? You know, 60 to 90 seconds. So not a super long time, but it was very, very intense. Yeah. And we're talking in a newborn period of time, 12 to 20 letdowns. A day. And so, that's assuming you only have one, you know, <laughs> that's assuming you're not letting down in between or you're not having, yeah. yeah, a lot of multiple, you know, multiple letdowns. Yeah. It's a lot, like you're saying. Yeah. So if this is happening every 30 minutes or every 60 minutes, I mean, it would be really hard to identify that. So the fact that right. you were able to pinpoint it and identify it, this is massive because this is really, really hard. This is why there isn't a lot of research and a lot of experts are still looking into it, right? Right. And I'll add too that that I say that it was very severe for me. It's usually not that severe, even for people who have it. A lot of moms, and this is from what I've read, blogs, and there is one book on the subject, um, a lot of moms feel just a little bit off, like a little bit of discomfort, a little bit sad, sometimes a little bit anxious, sometimes a little bit nauseated, sometimes a little homesick. That's one of the best ways I've heard to describe it. A little homesick. You know, that feeling, it's just, it's just a bad feeling. You feel like you're not where you're supposed to be. And it's generally very mild. And again, some people don't ever really do anything about it. They, they notice it and they think that's, uh, that's funny. And then it goes away. And it's sort of, it's sort of after the fact, when, when I'm talking to someone, sometimes they'll say, Oh my, Oh my goodness, I had this. And I didn't, it wasn't that bad, but I did have it. So right now, like, I don't know if you can see me and Courtney, but like I am bawling because oh, I, I actually couldn't tell. I am like getting, I think when I read your post on the mom's board and I'm like getting super triggered because I suffered through an entire year of breastfeeding and I just, you know, accepted that I just had like postpartum anxiety and depression. And that may very well be all that I had. I have no idea. My baby is six. 
I wasn't able to nurse my first because he had lip tie and tongue tie and all that stuff. And I exclusively pumped. And then I just was pregnant again a few months later. And as soon as I got pregnant, I just didn't have any milk. And it's fine. But when my second came, he was able to nurse and I really wanted to nurse him. But like that first year was just like, I mean, I just don't know how to describe it. The day I quit, this is why I'm crying. The day I quit feeding my child at my breast at all, it was like the whole world changed, right? Like it was like this sheet got lifted off of me. This, like, I didn't even realize I had been suffering. I mean, I knew I was not in a good place, but like the day I quit nursing, like the day there was no milk, the day it dried up, the day it was done, it was gone. And so when I do my postpartum visits with my, my doula clients, it's difficult for me because my tools as a doula that I have are to talk about mostly postpartum anxiety, depression, psychosis, and rage, and like the first, mm-hmm. you know, six to 12 months of life. This is not something I even talk to my clients about. And listen, I have no idea if I had DMER. All I know is that sometimes I find myself saying things to my clients that like, if you're really suffering, the first thing I'm going to tell you to do is to quit nursing because that's the only tool that I know that besides the medications and the therapy that actually worked was balancing, not having these letdowns, balancing the hormones, balancing the chemicals. So I don't know. So you're talking, I'm sorry, I just started crying so much because it just was so triggering. It's like, oh God, I didn't have a diagnosis, you know? Other than like, well, you just have normal postpartum anxiety and depression. But like the words that you're describing of like Mm -hmm. anxious, nauseated, like homesick, like those just really got to me because, you know, I know never told me to pinpoint when I was feeling them, you know, but looking back, I feel like that was probably could have been what I actually had because, man, it was gone the second I decided to not nurse. So what do you do for this? Like, so now here you are, like, I would not, I'm not going to say lucky. That's like a weird word. I don't know what to use. Like you have a diagnosis on, on, in a sense, right? Like you've seen a therapist, you've pinpointed it. Now what? Do you go back to your OBGYN or your therapist? Like, who do you tell? I have isolated the feelings. What happens? To be honest with you, there are so few professionals in the medical field who know about this condition this glitch it's not even a diagnosis is even it's it's like people say diagnosis well it's not a it's not a real thing that you can treat and unfortunately it's really not something you can treat they know that it has to do with the dopamine they know that there are things you can do to boost your dopamine in the moment you can drink coffee you can eat chocolate Oddly enough, Sudafed, Sudafedrin apparently helps, but you can't do all of those like, things. That also every dries time up your nursing. milk. Sudafedrin. Right, it'll dry up your milk anyway, right? So you can't do yeah. that. So essentially, you know, saying all of those things, it kind of makes me roll my eyes. Like that's not a treatment um, yeah. for anything. That's that's some way that people figured out you can kind of ease the pain. There is one cure for it, and that is to stop nursing. And you touched on it. And when to go back to your your question about what I did. I talked to my OB GYN and she said, oh my gosh, I've, I've heard of this, but I've never really seen it. I, I'm not sure what to tell you, to be honest, you know, and, and, and I was like, I respect that. That's okay. My therapist told me, if you need to quit nursing, then you need to quit nursing. If you're in this much 
despair and despondency so many times a day, you need to quit. And I was like, you know, I don't know. I'm reading all these, these blogs and there's not a lot on the internet about this, but what I am seeing, you know, people are saying that, you know, once you know what it is and once you've identified what's happening, you sort of develop the fortitude. Okay. Well, now that I know what it is, I know I'm not crazy. I know that I'm not alone. I'm going to be able to just keep doing this. And when I heard that, I, I felt shame immediately because I felt like I was falling short because all I wanted to do was stop. It was so bad that I, I, all I wanted to do was stop doing the thing that made me feel so bad. And I felt guilty and ashamed that I was willing to sort of sacrifice my child's well-being to take care of my issues, my mental health issues. Even if it is physiological, it's still, it manifests as a mental health issue. I really, this is, this is why I'm here. I, I, all I heard from everyone was that I needed to be able to suck this up and deal with it and process it and understand that I wasn't alone and it was normal. And all these things were supposed to give me the fortitude to be able to continue on. And it wasn't enough for me knowing what it was. I decided to try for another week and see how I felt. And I made it like three or four days. And I was like, no, I can't do this. I mean, I, I was, I was hooking myself up to the pump and I was immediately just sobbing. (laughs) It was so bad that I would just start, I mean, weeping is the only way to describe it. And it, because it was so intense. And I think by that point, there was this association with it too, that, you know, here's, here comes the pump, here comes the feeling. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to just, just power through it as people told me I should be able to do. So I made the decision to stop, to stop nursing, to stop producing milk, to stop putting myself through this. Good for you, Courtney. Cycle. Good for you. Because right now, like you're telling me the story and I'm getting angry because I'm a birth Mm -hmm. worker, I'm a doula, and you Mm -hmm. just heard me before you even told your story. You heard Mm -hmm. me say that I say to my clients, if your feelings weak, stop nursing, right? Like if I was your doula, I would have instantly said, no, we cannot take care of our children when we are not taking care of ourselves. Like, does everybody need to hear that again? Because we cannot effectively parent when we are not taking care of ourselves. We are number one. Our children are number two, period. And if there's any persons that are still putting shame and pressure on moms to be everything, you know, stop it right now, okay? First of all, we have breast milk sharing, okay? That's a thing. My child was nourished for an entire year from breast milk donors and formula, okay? And guess what? In kindergarten, this is where I brag, he tested academically gifted as a third grader when he was in kindergarten. So don't tell me that the fact that he didn't have my breast milk (laughs) didn't make his brain really smart and strong, you know? Like our children are going to be smart, healthy, as long as their parents are healthy and they feel loved. And they're nourished in some way. So I am so proud of you. If no one has told you that, Courtney, let me be there. I am telling you, I am so proud of you for putting yourself first and for quitting nursing and putting that pump away. 
because motherhood is not something that we should suffer through. Like I agree. Changes in our chemicals, physiological responses that are, I don't know if inappropriate, but when our body is dysregulated, dysregulated, inappropriate response, like those aren't something we pressure or push through. So bravo, proud of you. Now, how did you feed your baby? (laughs) (laughs) I had a hard time drawing up my milk because I've made so much of it, but I had quite a good stash by that point, the freezer stash. So I was giving my baby formula. Mm-hmm. And then at nighttime, I had enough milk for her to have a bottle at nighttime okay. um, until I was told that she had a dairy allergy or intolerance, I think yeah. is what they called it. It, was, uh, it wasn't so much an allergy that would be with her forever. So I ended up donating my breast milk to someone, my whole freezer stash. So that was a little painful, but it couldn't be helped. Um, yeah. She was having a reaction to it. So after that, she was exclusively on a hypoallergenic formula and she, she's an incredibly bright, caring, you know, I don't want to say perfect because she's a toddler and she's incredibly moody, but she's close to perfect child. And I will echo what you said. You put it perfectly that when, when you stopped nursing, you felt like a cloak had been lifted, you know, or or I I don't know how you put it exactly, but that's how it feels. I felt like I saw my child for the first time. I was able to to really enjoy her in a way that I had that I had missed out on for the first four weeks of her life. That was how long this had lasted. Was four weeks from start to finish um, that I had felt this way several times a day, and it was like a light, you know, being able to see her and cuddle her and not feel that despair and despondency and just terrible feelings. And you were able to mother. Yeah, I was able to be her mother and and much better off for it. I did not have PPD. It was not related in any way to to that. Uh, You know, I felt felt fine. I I was still a a new mother and still struggling to figure things out. But I felt like myself as a new mother. You know, I didn't feel like something was, was broken anymore. Yeah. So what did your provider, it sounds like you had to teach your provider about this. Yeah. So what's your provider? How did they respond to this? Well, she was very receptive to hearing about it, very curious about it. More than that, I think there was, um, there were, let's see, I had a, I had a lactation consultant outside of my pediatrician's office, but then there was a, a lactation consultant slash nurse practitioner who was seeing me or seeing my daughter in the first couple of visits of her life. You know, it's a few weeks before you see a pediatrician typically. And she I, I let her know that I was going to stop nursing and she called and had a whole conversation with me about it and wanted to hear everything. And she said, you know, this, this is something that I only just learned about last year. She told me, I didn't know anything about this and I should know everything about this because these, you know, I'm, I'm talking to women about nursing and lactation and I need to know about this. This sounds terrible, you know? And I really appreciated that. And I think there needs to be a lot more about that, a lot more of that going on, because if this is something that we're only just figuring out, when you think about the generations of women that thought they had postpartum depression or even thought that something was terribly wrong with them, they didn't know what it was. That makes me angry. Yeah. (laughs) It makes me really sad. It makes me really sad too. I was caught in this place where I really wanted to nurse. And again, I don't know if this is what I had, but it sounds very, it just sounds too familiar. 
And the fact that all of my symptoms were just gone completely the second I the second I quit nursing and my when my milk was dried up, you know? It's very likely. Oh my goodness. Well, let's keep talking about it. Let's I'm like, let's publish this episode. If you are an IBCLC or you know an IBCLC, will you share this episode? If you have a new mom that you believe is suffering from postpartum anxiety or depression, like, will you share this episode so that they could ask themselves the question, when am I feeling these feelings? And see if there's a correlation to when your baby is at your breast or when that pump is at your breast and you're feeling that letdown. That's a great question for everyone to ask. And it's a great question to be a screener not just the front and back of postpartum anxiety and depression. Every lactation consultant should be asking that question and every new mom should be equipped with that question to ask themselves so that you don't have to end up four weeks of suffering, six months of suffering, eight months of suffering, a year or two years of suffering just to find out that the second you quit feeding at your breast, you feel better when there are lots of ways to feed our baby. So Courtney, before we go today, I'm going to ask you about your favorite baby product. But before I do that, what is your brand of formula that you recommend? I used Alimentum. Okay. Similac Alimentum. Mm -hmm. Um, It was hypoallergenic. It smelled terrible. It worked great. (laughs) It's, uh, It's pricey, but it was what she needed. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to link to that in the show notes so that if anyone needs to supplement with formula, they can at least do their research with Similac Alimentum. So tell me what's your favorite baby product? Favorite baby product? I think the Boppy Lounger is my favorite baby product. It's something I didn't have with my first baby until she was two or three weeks old. Mm -hmm. And then when I got it, I wondered, where have I been putting the baby? You know, because I could put, I could carry that little pillow with the kind of an indentation. I could carry it all around the house and set her down anywhere I needed to set her down. And it was a life changer. So I think that's, that's what I always get for new moms that I know is the lounger. I love it. We'll link to that in the show notes. Also, I really like all of the Boppies products. I think they have a really good line. One last question that came to mind before we go. Do you think that DMER is something that once you have it, you always have it? Like, did you try to nurse again? Or with this second baby 10 weeks old, was your plan to just dry up your milk as quickly as possible and to start with formula? This is a really good question. And I hope you'll forgive me because it's a little bit of a, there are a lot of things I want to touch on when I talk about this before we go. So I was like, wait, don't, don't end it. I need to talk about my new baby. It's really important. Um, you know, when, when I had my, my daughter, I, at some point along the way, I read that it's, it's very hit or miss. It could happen differently with any pregnancy. It's not, doesn't mean you're going to have it again. But when I was pregnant with my second, I thought, you know, I really need to probably brush up on the latest and greatest uh, knowledge of DMER because I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked into it since that first foggy few weeks with my daughter. And when I did some more research on it, the second time around, I found that, that, it is pretty much guaranteed that you'll have it again with the second, third, fourth, whatever child, if you've already had it. A lot of times, if you don't have it with one or two children, you could still get it with the third child. It can pop up at any time, but then it typically continues to happen. 
lot of people say it's less intense with subsequent pregnancies. And so I knew going in that I was very likely, almost guaranteed to experience the same thing with my, uh, with my son. Going in, I had the, I, the, the mindset, you know, I'm going to see how this goes. I would love to be able to nurse my son as I was not able to do with my daughter. But I was fully prepared that if I felt that feeling, that very terrible <laughs> feeling again, and I felt like it was compromising my ability to be his mother, I was not going to put myself through toughing it out, you know, figuring it out. I was, I was not going to put myself in that place of guilt and shame again. And so I, I didn't want to just skip straight to formula. I wanted to see how it would go. And I told my, my husband, I said, you need to help me keep my mind right here because I'm going to be in a little bit of a crazy place hormonally. I know that I'm going to be feeling a lot of things that are going to be complicated. I need you to help me remember my plan. You know, if it's too much, I'm going to need to stop. Okay. And so I had my son in the hospital with my colostrum coming in, uh, my milk coming in. I didn't feel a lot. As soon as I got home and started producing actual milk, milk, you know, not just colostrum, I felt it immediately. However, I noticed that it was not as intense. It was recognizable. And I thought, well, this is interesting. I'm going to see how it goes. And as I continued to pump, um, I was having trouble getting him to latch, same as my first. I was pumping and trying to get him to latch. And I was feeling those feelings every time. And they were, were very subtle, the feelings, um, manageable, I would say. So it was, it's, it's fascinating. I was seeing a lactation consultant. I was talking to her about this, a new person. She was very supportive. If you need to quit, you need to quit. She was amazing, but I never felt like it was debilitating. Like it was with Carrie, Maddie, it was, um, it was really manageable. And I was able to get him to latch after a couple of weeks um, and a lot of effort. (laughs) And I'm able to nurse him to this day. And I notice those feelings. I recognize them. And I am able to let them kind of slide past. They normally last about 20 seconds now. It's crazy, right? They last about 20 seconds and they go away. And um, I'm largely able to forget about them. It's really remarkable. It is remarkable, but you have these backup tools if you need them and you have the empowerment for change at any point. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad that you gave it a, a try because why not? Right. Right. I was thinking earlier, like with, if someone's feeling this, why not try quitting nursing? You can get your milk supply back. You know what I mean? If it doesn't make you feel better, and that's not it. You can get your milk supply back pretty easily. So anyway, what an interesting conversation today, Courtney, and what an important thing we've discussed. So I am so excited for this episode to launch, and I just appreciate you being here and your vulnerability and sharing so that we can we can at least help one person. Right. If you listen right. to this episode and it helps you, please write in on Instagram at Birth Story Podcast, like Courtney and I want to hear from you. Courtney, where can everyone find you on Instagram if they have any questions, if they want to reach out? I'm on Instagram at CB underscore draws. 
So C like Charlie, B like boy, underscore draws, D-R-A-W-S. I'll link to that in the show notes also. Thank you for being here, Courtney. And I hope you have a wonderful week, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 